You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. And today I want to talk about the upside of conflict. The upside of conflict. Why do conflicts arise? Have you thought about that? How do and why do conflicts arise? And I think the answer is simple. Conflicts, conflicts arise because of differences. And most times it's differences of opinion, of perspective. Most times it's not because of the immutable differences that we have. They arise because of things that we've learned, experiences that we've had in life. She wanted to paint the room Daphne Blue. Daphne Blue. But you wanted it black. And she thought that idea was idiotic. Because why would you paint, paint a room black? It has to be warm. It has to be inviting. It has to be homey. And you said, no, it has to be powerful. It has to exude strength. And so the fight began. Now you think, that's too specific, J.D. Did you guys have that fight? I'm a Daphne Blue guy myself, if I may say so. So no, we didn't have that fight. Uh, but one thing is sure, and, and married people know this very well. If, if there's a relationship that goes beyond the surface, there will be conflict. There will be fights. Conflicts will happen. Conflict is a certainty in any relationship. The only relationships in your life that might escape conflict are those that you're not interested in going back past the surface, right? Maybe the person that you bump into in the hallway or in the elevator, and you have that same conversation about the weather, right? Or maybe you're a barista, the barista at the favorite coffee shop that you, freak, that you go frequently, and, and you just have that small talk about the weather, Right? Or maybe the waiter in your favorite restaurant where you have this small talk about the weather. Don't we all talk about the weather all the time with people we don't know? <laughs> I just think it's going to be warm today. Well, when it comes to friends, when it comes to family, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to those relationships that are closer to you, there will be fights because we're different. We're equal, but we're different. We're equal in so many ways. We're equal physically. Have you noticed that? Save any abnormality. Everybody has a torso, and we have limbs on, uh, uh, for legs, and, we have, and then we have a neck and a head above it. Right? I've never seen anybody with a head at the end of their arm. It just doesn't happen. So we're all the same. We, we, we communicate in the same, uh, through the same portals. Eyes, ears, speech, we use language, smell, touch. But at the same time, we're differently. We're different. We're different physically. We have a different structure. Men and women are different. We have fulfilled different roles in procreation. We have different races, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. Our shapes are always slightly different. We, I have twin daughters, and they're different. They're identical twins, but they're different. Our voice box is unique. 
Nobody has a voice like yours. Your fingerprint is unique. So we have these peculiarities that make each of us unique. And at the same time that we are unique, we feel like we're all the same. And so this is true for how we relate to others too. We're equal, but we're different. Now, have you ever had a relationship that started really well? It started well, uh, but then as you begin to navigate it and get closer to that person, it didn't continue to be so good. You found some things in the relationship that wasn't so pleasant. See, for most of us, it's not hard to make a good friend early in the relationship. You know, you find things that you know that you have in common and, and oh man, you like that. I like that too. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh. And then the, the, the relationship is positive. It's not difficult to find romance early, early in the relationship. You know why? Because early in a relationship, we make concessions. You go on a date, you like what you see, you like what you hear. So you ask questions and because you're attracted to that person, you're willing to bend your beliefs, even your convictions, a little bit to accommodate because you really like that person. Like the great poet from our generation, Connecticut-born, Mr. John Mayer, said, I want you so bad, I'll go back on the things I believe. And we do that sometimes, but for how long? How long can that go on? How long can we keep up the charade? How long can we bend? Because this is what often happens when it doesn't work out. As a relationship progresses, the expectations you had for that relationship are not met. Right? He or she does not respond to your texts as enthusiastically as you think they should. They don't, they don't return your calls as quickly as you think. And you thought that in the beginning, that's because they're shy. He's shy, she's shy. But now you're way past shy. He or she does not invest the time, the effort that you think the relationship needs. Or maybe it's the opposite. He's calling way too much. This guy is on my phone, blowing up my phone. Or she's coming over way too much. I need some space. The jokes are not as funny. The conversations are not as illuminating. What happened? Oh, he changed. Oh, she changed. Actually, what happened is that you might have painted a picture of that person in your mind. You have painted a picture of that relationship in your mind. And you thought, you believed that that's who that person was. And now the illusion is being crushed by reality. It's not that he changed, maybe a little. It's not that she changed. Maybe there was some pretending going on, but really, the things you shared in the beginning, you did so because both were invested in agreeing. Both were invested in finding the common ground. But as the relationship progresses, you can't do that forever unless you're committed to lying. You can't do that forever unless you mute yourself and pretending becomes a burden. And so the relationship disintegrates. So then you learn your lesson, right? 
You learn your lesson and you move to the other end of the spectrum. You say, I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to find a friend. Or I'm going to find an employee. I'm going to find someone who agrees with me on everything. If not everything, at least 95% of everything. Somebody who thinks what I, funny, what I think is funny is funny. Somebody who thinks like me, who, who votes like me, who, who likes the things that I like, likes the music that I like. And here's when you decide in your heart, I'm going to go for it. Now, this might take you a little while, so let me save you some time. And because it's going to take a little while and a good dose of humility for you to discover this. So I'm just going to go ahead and save you the trouble, okay? You don't like yourself as much as you think you do. You really don't. JD, what are you saying? You don't like yourself as much as you think you do. And any parent with a child old enough to act just like them knows this. Because your child, your kid, will reveal who you are. Your kid is going to act just like you. And a parent knows that. Every good parent tries to make sure that their kids are better than they are. You can notice that. Why? Because you don't want your child to be just like you. You don't. And a child is a mirror. If your child gets to that age where they start acting just like you, you're going to start seeing the things of your, in yourself that you don't like. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Why are you doing that? Well, you do that. So if you don't learn to deal with those areas of yourself, if you don't learn to be okay and grow and have the humility to realize, mm, there are parts of me that I don't like, it's going to be tough. Because your kid will show you exactly who you are, the good parts, the annoying parts. And you realize, my gosh, I am not the bee's knees. I'm not the elephant's adenoids. I'm not the cat's meow. I'm not the ant's pants. I'm not the tiger spots, I'm not the bullfrog's beard. I'm not the caterpillar's kimono. I can keep going. Yes, I Google these. They're all bees knees contemporary, but they didn't make it, okay? People just dropped them and replaced it. I'm not all that. But I bring the best for you guys, so. I was like, what are these expressions? So what happens? If you can't be friends and find romance with somebody who's so different from you, if you can't have a close relationship with somebody like that, or you can't find those things with somebody who's just like you, What's, what's, what's the alternative? Where do you go? What do you do? What's the answer? You have two choices. The first one is loneliness. And some people choose that. Some people choose loneliness. That's not a good choice. That's not what we were made, were made for. The second choice is to learn the upside of conflict. We need to learn the upside of conflict. And some, some of you, you prefer loneliness to conflict because you will avoid conflict at any cost. And that's a problem. And some of you, you prefer conflict to peace because of the way you were raised. There was always commotion. There was always something to fight about. And so you're way too comfortable with conflict. You, you need to contend to feel at home. And that's also a problem. So how do we solve this problem we have with conflict? And you're hearing from somebody who is not, I don't like confrontation. It's, it's, it's been a learned journey for me to learn about conflict and, and how good it can be actually for the relationship and to progress. 
We need to embrace the blessings of good conflict. That's what we need to do. And we need to despise the destruction bad conflict can bring because conflict can go, can go either way. A conflict can be healthy and can produce good, and that's the upside of it, but it can go bad as well. Think about this, thinking about the good side of conflict. Everything you've learned today, you've learned because either your ignorance was confronted, you just didn't know, or your wrong ways were confronted. You were doing something, or you're acting a certain way, or you're thinking a certain way, that was not right, and that was confronted. That's a conflict. That's how you learn how to walk. That's how you learn how to throw a football, your golf swing. That's how you learn to communicate properly. That's how you learn good manners, your pleas and thank yous. That's how we learn, because we were confronted, and, and then we corrected. Proverbs 12, 1 says this, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I just wanted you to say the word before I did, because uh, <laughs> then you can't use it against me. I'm kidding. I trust you guys. The word discipline here means correction. It means to correct your ways. And, and the Latin origin for the word stupid here means dummies as a ruckus. No, I'm kidding. I just came up with that. <laughs> stupid means stupid, Right? If you hate reproof, you're not going to grow. That's what the scripture is saying. If you hate reproof, you're not going to evolve. Why? Because knowledge comes from correction. Knowledge comes from correction. What does it mean when somebody says that they've learned from their failures? It means that they came face to face with their wrong ways they were living, their wrong mentality, and then they corrected that. Because somehow truth was revealed. And when that comes with conflict... There had to be a conflict. There was a conflict between their ways and the right way. And therefore, they learned from their failures. And that happens to all of us. So once we understand that, then conflict is not this dirty word that we can't look at or we got to avoid. But it's something that we can uh, use as a tool to learn. I was spanked as a child. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. My parents used the ministry of the belt of truth and the shoes that bring the peace. It wasn't peaceful when they were using it, but afterwards, we were all quiet. <laughs> it was very calm in the house. And I remember, I have, I've had mental uh, memories of my brother just running around that because he, he was a runner. I never ran, but he was a runner. And my mom would just run after him with the flip-flops because my mom used the flip-flops. And my dad would just, I'm going to meet you in the room. You go to the room. I'll be there in a minute. And those were the worst five to ten minutes of my life because I knew what was coming. <laughs> I don't have any regrets. I don't have any resentment. I'm grateful for it. It made me better. There's no rancor. There's no, nothing bad in my heart. It's good for me. Now, at the same time, I grew up with a friend who had an abusive dad. And he was so afraid of his dad. And we tried to help through the church. But his dad had anger issues, and, and most of the time his dad was right in, his in, 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 in seeing the wrong, but he was wrong in his approach because he just beat the child. And that was very, very, uh, um, oh, it, was, it was revelatory for me as a child to see that 
correction could have been done this, the wrong way, even though the kid was wrong. See, there's good conflict and there's bad conflict. It's not always defined by the transgression. It's not always defined by what was done wrong. Bad conflict can also be for, for when, see, see, here's what I mean. You can be right, you can be on the right side of the argument. You got to catch this. You can be on the right side of the argument, but never solve it because you constantly address the wrong way. You address it the wrong way. You might be on the right side of it, but because you address it the wrong way, it just never gets solved. So I want to give you three things. These are not exhaustive, but these will be very helpful for your relationships, uh, especially the closest relationships, marriage and, and, and relationship between dad and mom and siblings. Um, but also it can work in the workplace. Three things to practice to have good and productive conflict in your relationships. Are you ready? First one is this. Start with the end. Start with the end. Scripture says in Proverbs 16, 25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. When you find yourself addressing someone or being addressed by somebody, remember this scripture. Remember this passage. Because it doesn't, it doesn't only apply to the problem you're addressing, it applies to how you handle conflict. It's important to consider the end. How many times have you started a fight and, and you, 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 had a, you had an idea for where, where it was supposed to go, but it went in a complete different direction? And, and it, it just made things worse. Have you had that happen to you? You were hoping for a resolution, but somehow in the middle of the conversation, things got heated and it made things worse. That's why it's important to consider the end. What's the end goal? What do you want to get out of this conflict? What's the, what's the final objective? Make sure it's a good one. So you might be in that moment. <laughs> it might be that what you want is death. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> she, she's going she's gonna to see it. She's going to learn today. She's going to learn today. It might be that that's, that's what you have. So you need to... <sighs> All right. What do I actually want out of this conflict? Because... If you're trying to right a wrong, if you're trying to address a problem, maybe a child is off course, maybe there's a problem in your marriage, maybe it's an employee that's not acting right. Instead of, start, instead of starting with the problem and telling them all that they did wrong, start with the end. Consider the end. This is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. Beware of false prophets who come in, uh, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So in every healthy tree, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. This is a powerful idea. It's a powerful idea that the fruit of somebody's life reveals their intentions. Not just, the, not just what they say. Jesus, what Jesus is telling us here, the fruit of somebody's life will reveal their intention. So if you're applying this idea to your own life, what is the fruit that you want to bear? What are you trying to get out 
of this conflict? Are the desires that you have for this conflict, to the end of this conflict, good? Do you want to get to the end and actually resolve it? If so, then communicate it. Start with, hey, listen, here's my goal for this conversation. Hey, listen, I want to solve this problem. This is why we're having this conversation. Hey, I, un- I-, I, don't- I didn't understand your reasoning. I really don't like what happened. Like this, this really hurt me or this was really wrong or I, I, I'm not okay with that. I don't understand your reasoning. Explain to me. I need clarity. I think we need to make adjustments because we can't keep going the way we're going. And here is what we want. I want us to get better. I want us to get to a place of peace. I want us to get to a place of harmony. When you state clearly what your goal is, then you are, you are setting the course for the conflict. So start with the end. You will find that communicating your good intentions uh, it, it will get you to a point where you can agree on the end goal and then you can have at it. And then you can discuss the problem. You don't make it easier for you to face the conflict and go strongly against the problem so that the difference that do exist can be dealt with because you already have the end in mind. It's already communicated. Now, if what you want in the end is not good, if you have anger in your heart and there's something in your heart that like you, you actually want to be right and you don't care where it goes, you just want to win the argument and what you want is to give them a piece of your mind or you actually want their demise, then you'll damage the relationship. And you, you might even be okay with that. But you're still going to be left with the resentment. You're still going to have to deal with that. Because once, once, if the relationship is done, you're going to walk away with that problem that still needs to be solved. So those are your choices. <laughs> Number two. Attack the problem, not the person. This is very important, especially in close relationships. There's, there's a well-known and powerful story uh, in John 8 that Jesus shares, and it's the story of a woman that was caught in adultery. And this woman, uh, she was caught by religious leaders. Uh, scripture says that the religious leaders, they, they had an agenda. They wanted to catch Jesus transgressing the law. So they decided to pick her because... Uh, In the law of Moses, a person who committed adultery was supposed to be stoned to death. And so they caught her in the act. They brought her to Jesus. Jesus was teaching uh, in in the synagogue. And they basically threw her in front of him at his feet and said, What do we do, teacher? What do we do? The law of Moses says we need to stone her. And they all had stones in their hands. And they were ready to do it. And they didn't even care for her. They just wanted to catch him. They thought, if he says, don't do it, he'll be breaking the law. We'll catch him. If he says, do it, then, uh, then we got him. Then we show, we show that we have the authority and that he's wrong. And Jesus very succinctly shared something. He said something that shaped the entire way. Followers of Jesus relate to people. It shapes our entire approach to relationships. And it should shape our approach to conflict. This is what Jesus said. Uh, verse 7 of, of, of John 8. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be first, first to throw a stone at her. You probably heard this, this quoted because it's kind of become a folklore, right, in our culture. He who has no sin, cast the first, let him cast the first stone. 
But what Jesus was saying is so extraordinary. You might have heard this so many times that it's, it's become a little bit of something that you just hear it and you don't really stop to think about it. So I want you to really think about this. He didn't excuse her sin. He didn't say what she did was right. He made a distinction between what she was doing and who she was. He made a distinction between her and her sin. Jesus addressed the problem. And here's where you will realize in every fight, in every conflict you have, the roles could have been reversed. In every fight you have, whether you're on the right or on the wrong, you could have been in the other shoe. It could have been you. And how would you act if you were that person? How would you act if you're the one who offended or who, or who made the mistake? See, there are no circumstances in which you can genuinely say, I would have never done that. I would have never done what you did. Maybe you've uttered that in fights. Maybe you've uttered that in relationships. Because maybe your set of circumstances and what you have experienced in life didn't lead you to that sin, didn't lead you to that transgression. But if you were in that woman's shoe, if you were in, in, in her reality and you suffered what she suffered and you were tormented by what she was tormented, most likely that morning the religious leaders would have picked up you. They would have picked you up out of that room. And that's true for any conflict we have you could have been in the situation you could have been the person in the other shoes and that's what Jesus is teaching them he who has no sin cast the first stone means it could have been me it could have been you see Jesus' love for her his mercy for her his grace for her doesn't mean your sin is insignificant and therefore you are in the clear it doesn't mean what you did is all right. It doesn't mean it's okay. It means I don't condemn you. Therefore, go and say no more. You know what Jesus was saying? Who are the ones who were about to kill you and condemn you? And condemn you? Where are they? He asked her. And she said, they are not here. And she, he said, I don't condemn you either. Now go and say no more. This means this. I don't condemn you. Don't ever do that again. That's what Jesus was telling her. Don't you ever do that again. Go and no, don't sin no more. Sin no more. In other words, my problem is not you. It's what you did. My problem is your sin. See, this is what can quickly happen in, in fights, especially close fights. If we're not intentional about this, especially in marriage and in brother and sister relationship, when things get heated, it becomes a character assassination. Oh, so you think you're the big and wonderful person. Oh, you think you're the cat's meow. And you're attacking me. Oh, so you're coming at me. At the remember what you did three years ago. You remember. I, rem you re I remember. Do you remember? I remember. And then the list begins. And then the other person goes, oh, you're saying I did that? You think that that's what I was doing? That's what you think of me? I don't do this when I fight, okay? This is not mine. <laughs> you are so dumb. You're an idiot if you think that I'm, that's what I was doing. For you to come with that, come up with that. And so just in that, in those two sentences, 
You have a hypocrite, a dummy, and an idiot. And if that's true, the fight is over. I'm sorry. It's done. Because you can't get reasoning from that. Every fight can just disintegrate and become a character assassination. And then you're, all you're left with is the problem still there and pain and hurt. So make a decision, especially if you're married. Make a decision. If you're going to address a problem, address that problem. Don't go back five years on things that have already been dealt. Don't go back three years on things that you've already forgiven, already talked about. You deal with that problem and you don't attack the person. You solve the problem. If you do that, you will see that you will make progress. Number three and last point is this. Value humility. And it might seem odd to you that I'd say value humility on a message about conflict. But the truth is this. No one knows everything. I don't know everything. You don't know everything. Even the, the, the big, greatest experts in the world, they, what they know is less than what they don't know. There's a lot more we don't know in the world. We're ignorant in most subjects. And humility will open your heart to learn. Will open your heart to learn from each conflict. That's what humility does. This is what humility does. When your spouse, your friend, your boss comes to you and, and addresses something. Humility doesn't say, oh, you thought... The person who's humble, he, she doesn't say, oh, who do they think they are? They think they're the elephant's adenoids? <laughs> I don't know why I think that's so funny. <laughs> who would say that? Like, they used to say that in the 20s. Like, you think you're the elephant's adenoids? <laughs> I think we've, we don't use that language anymore. I think we're not as smart. I think they were smarter than us. <laughs> we just say, do you think you're all that? Like, all that. Elephant's adenoids. That's way more sophisticated. The humble person, when he's confronted, when she's confronted, will not say, who do you think you are? You're trying to teach me? Do you know who I am? I know this. I've done this. Like, I'm, I'm a pro at this. No, a humble person will think, did I come up short somewhere? And if so, how can I do better? Is there something that I'm not seeing? Is there something that I missed? See, that doesn't mean you're not confident. That means you're aware of your of your fallibility. That doesn't mean that you're not a good boss. That doesn't mean you're not a good leader. That doesn't mean that now your spouse has the upper hand. I can't let her know that she's right, JD, because then I'm going to have to do everything she says. I can't let him know that I'm right, that he's right, because then, you know, I, I, lose, I lose my... No. See, here's the thing. The confident person, the confident person knows that he or she is not perfect. It is insecurity that clings to perfectionism. Insecurity clings to perfectionism. Insecure people always want to portray that they're the best. So you got to deal with that. And this wisdom, this wisdom comes from Jesus. I want to close with a conversation that happened between uh, Jesus and his disciples in the Last Supper. It's a kind of a funny story in, in a bit of a dark way because... Jesus was sharing with his disciples that he was going to die. And the worship team, you guys can come in and get ready. Jesus was sharing that he was going to die with his disciples. Okay? And as he's sharing with his disciples that he is going to die, the scripture says that immediately a, a conflict arose 
of who was the greatest. Now, this conflict wasn't about, what can we do to, to avoid that death? What can we do to make sure that Jesus is not killed? No, they weren't thinking that. They were thinking, who's going to take his place? Which one of us here is the one who's going to take over for Jesus? Right? That's what they were thinking. So let's go to the scripture. Luke 22, uh, verses 24 and 27. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the, thing, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. Gentiles are basically not Jews. So everybody else in the world, that's what he's talking about. But not so with you. He's telling them, we're doing it, we're doing it differently. We're living it in a different way. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. The leader as the one who serves. For who is greater one who reclines at the table or one who serves. Here he's painting a picture of a banquet. And in those days, the special guests, the people of honor, would recline at the table. They didn't have chairs, right? Now you could ask the question, who's going to see, sit? Who's, more, who's, who's greater, the person who sits in the place of honor or the server? The waiter. And he continues, it is not the one who reclines at the table. Everybody would say, yeah, but I am among you as the one who serves. In other words, he was saying, look at me. Now, what did Jesus do here in this conflict? He started with the end. He said, the world has a way of doing things. This is not the way we're doing it. Let me paint a picture of who we are. Then he attacked the problem, not the disciples. He didn't say, guys, come on. You think you're going to replace me? Who do you think you are? Huh? A bunch of students. No, he didn't say it. He didn't do that. He addressed their pride. And then Jesus valued humility. He set perimeters. Um, new perimeters. Because see, the world has perimeters, perimeters for who's best. The world has perimeters for who's the greatest, who's the goat. But Jesus said, there's a better way. You serve. You help. You approach people in every situation with humility. Now, did Jesus compromise his authority? No. He said, I am among you as the one who serves. I'm still your leader. I'm still your master. I'm still your teacher. That doesn't change. But I'm going to serve you. Did he compromise his beliefs? No, he didn't. If anything, his humility made him stronger. Because this is what happened. Jesus didn't have to be the biggest person in every room. He didn't, have the one, he didn't have to be the one with all the answers and the one with, that was always at the top. He came in to serve. And that's the example that we should follow. In every conflict, approach it with humility. Be a servant. I believe these three practices will help you immensely. If you start with the end, if you attack the problem, not the person, and if you value humility, you will see uh, the conflicts that, you, that you're a part of, because they happen every day, right? Um, they'll, they'll, you'll be able to, to gain uh, a lot of, you're going to be able to improve and gain uh, uh, resolution in a lot of those conflicts. Now, it could be that some of those things that you're facing are more complex. Like I said, this is not exhaustive. 
This is a, this is a good start. But it could be that, that you're facing a situation right now that's so complex that you, you need more wisdom. You, you need better understanding. Let me, let me encourage you to look to Jesus. Look to the words of Jesus, to the life of Jesus. Seek from God the wisdom. He says, if anybody needs wisdom, come, ask. That's what the scriptures say. If anybody needs wisdom, just ask. Our Heavenly Father gives it freely. So if you're facing a conflict in, in your places of work or at home that needs God's wisdom, ask. And you will learn the upside of conflict. That you can take that uh, conflict and learn from it and grow from it and become better. And I believe and declare that your relationships will improve, that God will guide you toward peace, and that healing will take place, and that your tomorrow will be better than your yesterday. Do you receive it today? Amen. Amen. Worship team, you guys can come. <laughs>